everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Retired United States Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Janelle McCauley is no stranger to high-stress environments. As a commander, a mother, and a wife of an often-deployed military spouse, she looks back on her time juggling the biggest challenges of her life and asks, how could I have improved my performance? The question alone is a testament to the character of a mindful high performer. And sure, that descriptor is tossed around a lot and is a buzzword for anyone seeking personal growth, but there is hardly a better way to describe someone as driven as Macaulay. After receiving her doctorate in strategic health and human performance, she endeavored to teach leaders the tools which she felt she lacked in the past. Now she's changing the culture around stress and human performance in ways that you'd never imagine. Here it is, episode 317. bring forth the rhythm in the room power athlete nation it's that time again <laughs> boating shoes hour <laughs> that was the witching hour it's you know the boating hour you know what is absolutely sad is that we don't even mention texas boat shoes female boat shoes in this podcast no we do oh thanks texas reminder you're listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning ing ing bands on i'm protesting <laughs> oh, so, so we're protesting the ing. Protesting. You know, ing. I'm 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 okay that if we just get rid of the ing, we just go strength and conditioning. Which but ing? the problem is, is now that oh, we've said it so shirts. many times, now all of a sudden uh, I just we, hear we already made the shirts. Yeah. So the strength uh, conditioning. If we go back now, that's right. We should tell people about that. Go to shop.powerathletehq.com and mm. search ing. Ing, 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 I guess is what we'll probably be calling the shirt. Uh. It's, uh, it's there. <laughs> Listeners, you've spoken. You've spoken and we have answered. So you better buy this or else we're going to be giving a bunch of homeless people in Austin's <laughs> uh, Power the Radio podcast shirts. Sounds great. At least that one homeless guy up in Seattle. In Seattle. We'll get him one. Who's yeah. a listener? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. What else is new in Power Athlete Nation? Oh, we have a new intern. You can't see him. He's on the side. Um but what the intern has... Well, intern, what did you think of today's episode? Hang on, hang on. When we ask you questions, we don't want you to actually answer them. <laughs> Lesson number one for the intern on his first day. Am I wrong, John? Uh, you're not wrong. Tex, what say you? He can think whatever he wants, yeah, but you're we're not going to know. Yeah, you're allowed to think. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the intern to the show. Very good. But barreling forward, what time of year is it? I think it's a uh, symposium. It is symposium. I can't Visibility believe Visibility is about 15 miles. Temperature is 82 degrees. <laughs> about two, <laughs> two degree, two <laughs> mile an hour, two knots, two nautical knots. Uh, wind out of the Great flying west. conditions. Yes, great, great flying conditions. And it's a great time to remind you, December 5th, 6th, 7th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days of pure, unfiltered, uncut Power Athlete Symposium experience here in Austin, Texas. I don't know if we're going to... Well, I mean, we got the venue booked. Uh, go to the website, events.powerathletehq.com. Thursday night, we have an epic setup for the, to kick off this event. I mean, John, John and I went by and toured it in a fucking monsoon. It's pretty awesome. And it's fucking perfect. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Badass. It is a... For those who were there last year, I want you to take your experience and double it. And that's what we're committing to this year. 
Um, I was going back through the pictures, you know, how we do our kind of big selfie, like a big symposium picture. Yeah. I was going through all the different symposium pictures and like seeing the growth of like, you know, what it came to. And then like when we were in Newport beach and then, you know, in uh, a bee cave at the Senesta and then last year, like just the exponential growth. Um, I almost feel like, uh, you know, not only as the symposium is gaining speed and rolling and doing this and we're making a better mm-hmm. event like that more and more people are coming and it's just it's inspiring to see that many people roll and it's even killer to see that we get the opportunity to you know really have a direct action link to that many people it's pretty killer i know and what's here's good for us um like it will continue to grow sad for the people attending not necessarily in size uh, you, you know what I think as long as I don't think it's ever going to be a 500, 700 well, but, person uh, event. Like there's a weird thing. Like, um, you get to this point where like you lose sight of the original mission. Bingo. And the one thing that I think we will, um, always be very good at is keeping sight of the original mission because we always kind of keep people that are, you know, plank holders within the whole deal. Like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, for branding with, you know, Harry understanding the vision and us and like, we have this, uh, knowledge of where we came from and where we're going. And I think is as people come on that don't understand the history or the progression or this, all of a sudden the message can change. But I think, uh, as long as, you know, we're stewards of the mission and stewards of the message, uh, we'll be continue to crush it out the park. I'm with you, man. But early bird special right now is we're giving you free swag pack. So you come in, you're going to get a lid. That's a hat. You're going to get a shirt. You're going to get a sticker pack, all sorts of swag. All that stuff is included for early birds, which is half sold out already. And the reason I bring up the attendance is because space is legitimately limited. Yeah. Right. So tickets are going to sell out, get in early or miss out. So if you're that guy or gal who waited till last minute last year and were able to snag a ticket, I don't think it's happening again this year. Not with the rate they're selling right now. So if that is you and you want to be out there, head to events.powerathletehq.com and then slash symposium. And you're going to see everything that you want to know about that symposium as details unfold. Right. So this week we'll probably be setting up the venue and listing that uh, speakers are in process. So you're not going to know the speakers over the next until the next couple months. Yeah. Like that's just that's just how it is. But here's the commitment we will make to you is um, we're not going to go short or easy on it. We realize that this event is as much the people we ask to speak to present as it is anything else. So why would we go light on that? So you have nothing to fucking worry about there, especially if you're one of those people like, oh, I think I'll wait till they announce all the speakers. It's going to be bad. You're going to be sold out. It's just that yeah. it's simple. Um, it's going to be epic. I'm yeah. getting, getting just psyched about it. You know what also I'm really psyched for? What's that? Our conversation today. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a treat ahead of you. We have on the show today, Janelle McCauley. So Janelle McCauley is, um, I guess, currently, I'll let her tell the story, but currently works within the space of performance and mindset, right? And uh, Small World also linking up with Pete Carroll, a little bit like Nicole Davis, Mm -hmm. right? And going into the warrior space, that DOD space. And um, super accomplished woman, great, great chat today. I just thought it was great. That was fabulous. And you know what? We have a whole podcast about being mindful, being in the present, being in mm-hmm. this moment now, and there's no other moment that's better than this moment. Text. I don't even know where your brain is right now. Boom. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, another episode coming at you. Tune in. Go. 
So Janelle, uh, for our listeners, why don't you give us the like extended version of your background so they can get to know you a little bit? Okay. Um, I grew up in Southern California as the daughter of public servants. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. Uh, where at? Where, where, where at in SoCal? At Irvine, actually. Oh. OC? Yeah, the OC. We, uh, we're in Austin, but before that, we were in Newport Beach. And awesome. uh, I grew up in Palos Verdes. So, uh, and then I went to Berkeley. So, um, California. So, now we're here in Texas. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a California girl at heart. Um, I, I, you know, I, I lived there until I went off to college and then I have not been back, unfortunately, um, except to visit, but it still holds, you know, a, a, a soft place in my heart. I will um, forever be um, just a California girl. I really enjoyed growing up there. And, you know, I was very exposed to uh, the military. My grandfathers and my uncle were in the Marine Corps and Southern California kind of has a very robust um, Marine presence. And I used to go to the air shows with my dad and my uncle and- El Toro. Yes, at El Toro. Yeah, yeah, we used to go to the El Toro uh, air show as well. Yeah, fabulous. Like just such a great opportunity to expose, you know, young people to the military and flying and those types of careers. And the interesting thing about, you know, my life, and I mentioned in my TED talk, you know, when I was a little girl, my dad would tell people that I was going to grow up to be a submarine warfare commander or a combat pilot for the Air Force. And at the time, you know, women weren't allowed to do those things. But I kind of grew up with this sense of, you know, not realizing that society had put barriers and limitations to what I could do or be in the future. And that was very powerful, I think, for a young girl to kind of grow up and realize that, um, you know, what I could dream, like, you know, that that's the only limit that there could be on, on what I could possibly be in the future. And so, you know, I had always thought big has have been kind of like that strategic thinker, um, went off to the Air Force Academy, then I went to pilot training, um, my career in the military was both, I would say, kind of paralleled both as an academic. I had many opportunities to go back to school to get some degrees, um, study some things that I was really interested in and had a passion for, and then also explore this world of flying, being in combat, and leading teams and um, organizations. And so throughout my career, um, I always kind of struggled with finding the balance, right? And I'm going to use that word, even though I, I don't like using that word, because I think that's the common vernacular we use with how we want to see our work in our life balanced. And that was something that escaped me my entire uh, time as I was struggling to be a wife and a mother and a pilot and a leader and be badass at everything that I did. And so when I got to go back to school and kind of study and the Air Force was very nice in allowing me uh, some choice in the topics that I looked at. And when I went to get my PhD, I really wanted to study how we could manage all these things that life has to offer that we want to be badass at um, and not lose our marbles while we're doing it. We're trying so hard to be good at everything that they did that we were burning out. We were not able to perform at our highest levels, especially in stressful and rugged environments. Um, because of the overwhelm and what pressure does to us as human beings. So that's really what I studied. I studied how do you build the most effective human weapon system 
to accomplish a high stress mission in a, a rugged and unpredictable environment. And so it kind of was a way to both, um, you know, experience um, these, this world uh, of the military and, and leadership, and then also study how to do it better. And so now that's kind of what I do for um, my job. Now that I've retired, I spent 20 years in the Air Force, recently retired. And now I teach workshops and I speak on the topic of preventing burnout, managing stress, um, finding peak performance. And then really what I find is that the key aspect in a lot of that is getting command of your mindset. So it has a lot to do with how we think. And um, so, yeah, so kind of in a, in a that's very uh, general terms and in a nutshell where I've been and, and what I do. Um, but I love it. I love impacting people. You know, my purpose in life is to help individuals find the best version of themselves. And um, that's what I get to do each and every day. So I'm really blessed and lucky. Um, and I'm so excited to be here to share some of this information with your listeners. Awesome. So do you find yourself traveling and doing workshops for private companies or is it just kind of open to the public? So mainly it's for organizations and I've worked with a whole bunch of different organizations from, uh, you know, DO, Department of Defense. So different military units. That's probably where um, the bulk of my work uh, extends to, but also law enforcement, first responders, Department of Justice. So lawyers, judges, um, colleges, universities, um, and then corporate America. I think when you, when you, talk about stress and overwhelm. This is not, it's a universal thing, right? It's not just for people who operate in high stress environments. Now, I think it's vitally important for those of us that go out and have to do our jobs under pressure um, to be trained in, in a way that we understand how our mind works and how to get control of it um, to perform at our best under stress. But really, everybody has stress. So it's definitely um, an applicable message to different populations. And I know with, you know, the folks that you work with in the fitness world, parents, children, I mean, distraction and overwhelm are everywhere. And it holds us back. Honestly, it's a barrier to us actually reaching our full potential, no matter what arena we're in. So um, I do, I love talking to all different populations because I think it's um, important for us to get a grasp on these types of concepts. Can you take us through the process? I mean, obviously there's, um, you know, just from listening to it, it sounds like there's a process in place to be able to move through it. It's just not something that people naturally just find a way to deal with stress. So I'm sure uh, there's a process that kind of takes you through it and also tools that you work with people to, you know, enhance their ability to not only handle stress, but how to manage it. Because uh, I would think a life without stress would not be a life I would want to lead. Um, I sometimes think stress is the thing that kicks you in the pants and wakes you up in the morning and forces you to go out and do things. I mean, you know, and I, you know, even from a, a you know, evolutionary standpoint, the stress, am I going to eat today? Do I have to go out and hunt? Uh, I think in, you know, without stress and environment, we don't tend to grow. So I'm interested to hear the process for it. Yes, definitely. So you make a great point. So stress is, there's good stress, right? There's good stress. And then there's um, bad stress and it, and there's a Yerksey Dodson law. It's basically a curve. And, um, what it, what it measures is performance against your level of activation or anxiety. And what it tells us is it's basically like a, a bell curve. So as we increase a little bit of our stress and anxiety, our performance does go up, 
right? And that side of the curve is called eustress, eustress, the stress to get our edge, the kind that we want, especially when we're in high pressure situations where we want to perform at high levels. However, the top of that curve where we now have too much anxiety and our performance becomes degraded, that side of the curve is called distress. That's where we feel those symptoms where stress response is activated, where we may get the butterflies in our stomach, our heart starts racing, sweaty palms, the, the stories start building up in our head about catastrophizing, about what's about to happen. And in those situations of distress, we rarely um, perform from a, uh, a high-performing space. It's mostly where we make emotional overreactions rather than rational responses to whatever we're being exposed to in our environment. Um, but here's the thing about stress. Stress is actually a perceived emotion. And when I say that, some people are like, what? No, that's the, that stress is stress and I have it in my life and it overwhelms me. And here's the thing. We have a lot more control uh, over how we see our stress. Right? Stress is how we're envisioning and we're reacting with our in the environment around us. And we can choose right through what I think is a process of training our minds. Um, we can change the way we think about the stress in our life. So I'll tell you, there was a point in my career early on, you know, midway through my 20 year career where I was the mother of a two year old, I was leading a military unit, I had, um, you know, a house and a dog and high maintenance parents that required a lot of me, my husband, who's also active duty was deployed to the Middle East for a year. And there was a lot of pressure and stress in my life. And I, I let it overwhelm me. I saw every day as a struggle. And in fact, I couldn't even enjoy the successes I was having in that time period because I was so worried about what was going to happen next. Um, and my mind would take me to these catastrophes. Um, you know, there's, there's a saying that the majority of the catastrophes we experience in our life only occur in our heads. Um, and they're not rooted in any bit of reality. They're just the stories we tell ourselves that prevent us from actually showing up and being authentic and high performing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I actually found myself in this space where I forgot how to laugh and I lost sight of the love that was around me. And I was so busy trying to be perfect at everything that I did. I lost sight of the fact that there's that growth and, and learning within our imperfections. And it was a burnout point. And what I really realized from that is that, you know, I went back to school, studied the concept of high performance and realized that, you know, our minds are the key. We have this monkey mind that, um, you know, an ancient uh, brain that lives in a modern world that sees everything as a threat. You know, we're chronically stressed. And when we operate from that place of distress, we tend to make poor decisions. Um, and, you know, the way that our minds work is that things start as a thought, which then drives emotions, which then drives decision making, which then drives our behaviors and our performance. And so if we want to get a handle on how we perform day to day, we have to start with our thoughts. And this is nothing I created. Actually, if you go all the way back to the ancient traditions of Lao Tzu and Sun Tzu, they were talking about this stuff, right? This is how ancient warriors were, had the disciplined mind to actually perform at their best in uh, combat and conflict environments. Same concept. We have just lost, you know, lost that connection 
to being self-aware and being able to um, see the world in a different way, right? So, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, you're going to come to my organization and take away our stress. You know, I don't take away your stress. I just help train your mind to see it in a different way. And so later on in my career, I was not stationed with my husband. I had two children. I was leading a larger team. I, um, you know, had a significant amount of pressure, but I handled it in such a different way because I had tools and skill sets to change the way I saw um, the world around me. And so it's very powerful. Our minds are extremely um, powerful. And when you finally get control of it, it can literally change every aspect of what you do, how you're a parent, how you're a spouse, how you um, do your job, how you experience, you know, fitness uh, goals and accomplishments. We had, we had an author on Ted Slingerland, who was a professor, I forget where, maybe San Francisco, but he talked about the, a lot of ancient, I guess, Chinese philosophies and how we could apply them trying not to try. Like as soon as we put forth that conscious effort or things started to matter to us, that's when we started to mess it up. So is that part of this? Oh, yeah, I remember that podcast. I didn't agree with any of that. Oh, well, it was yeah. just some research, you know. But yeah. is, is that part of this uh, perception that you're trying to change? Just not, it, it still matters and is important, but almost how you think of that investment. Well, I think we spend, as human beings, we spend a lot of time trying to control our external environment, right? Trying to make sure every set of you know, we're control what other people think of us. We're trying to control, you know, um, what other people are doing. When in reality, the best thing we can do for ourselves is get control of our internal environment. You know, spend some time and deep work and commitment to training ourselves and our mind to be in the best position it can to handle whatever our environment and the external place, you know, uh, provides for us. Um, and so it's, it's a flip, you know, in, in how we think about our, how we interact with the world around us. And so I think what, um, and I'm not familiar with, with his research, but the previous researcher you had mentioned, I, I think what maybe he's trying to say is when we're trying to, when we think about these things too, too hard, or we think about how we need to manip manipulate other things that honestly we don't have control over, um, it can be detrimental to the way that we're going to show up and perform in those situations. Uh, doesn't a lot of this come from like um, lack of reflection? I always think on like for me personally, like a, a quiet time or, you know, just being by myself or really just thinking through complex problems. And what amazes me is how many people that I'll run into that haven't really thought through a lot of these issues. And uh, I always wonder if it's the idea that uh, never be distracted. I mean, uh, I love to drive without the radio and just think and like, you know, work through problems and solutions and break them into a bunch of little pieces and analyze each piece of it so that uh, whatever really comes at me, I have uh, a greater understanding. And I think that what happens is when people get really stressed out, it's because they haven't really thought through a lot of the issues or problems that are presented to them. And then like their first reaction is always kind of a, a defensive, stressful one. And, you know, whatever problem really pre like is presented to me and, and let's say us within our company or athletically or whatever it is, if I've thought through all the different steps and I have a process in place, I should be able to apply that in such a way that it allows me to work through all these. But um, and I, I, I have three kids and I work with my or I tell my daughters all the time, like 
no technology, just turn about. I want you guys to think and be alone with your thoughts a little bit. And all these situations or problems or things that you feel stressed about, if you can think through them and take them into small little digestible chunks, you will be so far ahead of other people, you know, and enjoy the process of going from, you know, uh, a uninformed to an informed individual. And like, it's, you know, I'm sure they look at me and think like, shut up, old man. But like that idea of, um, you know, like, People are going to have stress, but it always comes to me, and, and you've seen this in the military. Um, I played in the NFL, and the people that were the most stressed were the ones that were the least prepared. The people that knew exactly what they you know was asked of them, they knew the game plan, they were masters of their craft. There was very little stress, uh, like uh, fear almost, in not being able to accomplish a task. I mean, the stress was like, hey, I get to run out in front of thousands of you know, hundreds of thousands of people and compete on the highest level. But uh, the people that were true masters and true like um, artisans of their craft had like kind of a strange calmingness about them where they knew what they could do. uh, They knew what they could control um, and they went out and they just executed and it worked very seamless. And the people that I saw that were like freaking out, that were stressful, the people that, you know, were running around in circles were usually the people that were the least prepared. Yeah, you bring up two great points. The first one is to get to that space that you were just describing, many times it takes that uh, practice of solitude, right? The practice of what I would call mindful self-reflection about what's going on in our life, productive daydreaming, right? Daydreaming is when we use our minds in a way where we sit down to to work through a problem. And we start thinking up solutions and creativity and curiosity kind of all uh, come into play. That is something we don't do today as human beings. It's a rare occasion. In fact, I would probably argue that the majority of us can't just sit and wait and think productively in those spaces. We automatically pull out our phone if we're in line for something. Even when we're at a red light, I guarantee you a lot of people pull out their phones at the red light because we've lost the ability to be bored. Um, and we see it as we co- we all constantly need to be stimulated. And so our digital devices provide that for us. Um, I would say that we need to have healthy relationships with our digital devices. We're not going to get rid of them. That's, you know, and in, in, I keep no. hoping that this internet thing's a fad and it just stops like i like, like i i honestly wonder if we'll get to the point where we're like man like there's too much connectivity i, I had to talk uh you know one of the, he's been on the podcast friend of mine derek woodski and he's like honestly like uh the lack of interpersonal like one-on-one like actual in space um in uh interactions with individuals like People are more than fine. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we we do a podcast online and like, you know, you're not sitting here, which I always wish we had like a transporter to put the person here in the room just so, you know, like nuance and smell like all the other things other than just like the visual uh, come into play with that. But it's um, it's really uh, like I can, and, and I'm sure you can too, I can remember a day before cell phones. I can remember before the technology. I, I remember hearing about the internet in college and uh, like knew what it was like. I remember, you know, riding in the car and not listening to the radio and having no technology, nothing, just looking out the window for hours on car trips. And uh, that's something that like I see my kids now where they always have to be stimulated and we're always giving them something in this. And like a lot of times I'm like, you get nothing. I want you just to think about this or be creative. And I want to see what games you come up with or how you interact. And I think um, it's uh, it's becoming a lost art. And I think actually what it's 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 um, 
preventing people from like what you say, like developing the tools that they can to solve their own problems because they don't necessarily put their, uh, their thought through things or always, you know, like instead of having to go to the library and research something, what do we do? We just look at Google and it goes there instead of having to, you know, go through microfish and all the other crazy things that we had to back in the day. And I, I wonder, um, evolutionary, like how this is going to affect people in terms of problem solving, whether it hyper jumps things where people are like, are no longer, uh, almost like, and I hate the word hack because usually people use word hack or hacks, but, uh, they're finding a way to hack problems faster and to get to solutions quicker. Um, or I don't know. I mean, it just, it, it's a, it's a very real thing and we see it all the time, man, people's attention and their ability to kind of focus on one thing and have like that dedication and that mastery is just really kind of cut back in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think a lot of it is it's a chemical reaction, right? We get a dopamine response from our from our phones, just like we would from cocaine. Um, and so it becomes an addictive uh, type of need, right? That, that half the time this is and this is what I teach. And I'll kind of go into some of the solutions I have. Um, what we're missing is awareness. Because here's the thing, most of the time, if you are standing in line for something, you pull out your phone, you start checking Facebook, you start scrolling, and then five minutes later, you realize that's what you're doing, right? Like you don't even realize that the phone comes out. It just is like this immediate response to boredom. Um, We pull out the digital device. It's like when you read a page in a book and you get to the bottom and then you think, I don't remember what the heck I just read. And then you have to go back five pages before you realize, oh, wait, that's actually where I stopped paying attention. Oh, good. So, so that's just not me. (laughs) Yeah. I I was was worried that was just me because I get to the bottom and think, oh man, what was I? Okay. I got to go back and reread that. That's good. To the bottom. Like, well, at least I have my grocery list figured out. (laughs) I forgot (laughs) what I was fucking reading. I'm looking at words and I know I need to get more, you know, I didn't, I didn't know you read. I tried, but no, I just, it was that what he's telling us about that one time. Yeah, that oh. one time I <laughs> he read. needed to fall asleep. But I have a, you know, I have a colleague <laughs> and a dear friend who's willing to sit there and read me to sleep. As you know, <laughs> his blog posts, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> head to the powerathletehq.com uh, blog, look up Arthur, text McQuilkin, and you'll be put straight to sleep. Oh, uh, God. What okay, are you looking no, at me oh, like that for? No, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I want to hear more about these tools. Look, come on. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, we, no, no, it's fine. I we all started it, right? And, and whenever I say these things to people, they're like, yes, like I've driven my car, and then I don't even remember the roads I took to get there. Because what happens with our brains in those moments is that we mind wander. And the thing about mind wandering is that it's unintentional and it's done without awareness. You know, we don't even realize that our minds are taking us to these crazy places. And the research will tell us actually that the average human being will mind wander almost half of their waking moments. So half of your day, you are not paying attention to what's going on right in front of you. Your mind is taking you through this mental time travel, either to regrets of the past and worries about what happened yesterday or catastrophizing about what might happen tomorrow, or you know that pit in your stomach about being upset about something you saw on social media or an interaction you had with a coworker or a spouse or a child. And the thing about mind wandering is the majority of the time when our brains do this mental time travel, we go to unhappy places. I mean, why? Like, like I, I kind of always like uh, try to, you know, w- almost ground a lot of this stuff within like a science or like even like an evolutionary idea of like if half of our waking moments are within a mind wandering, like what would be the purpose of that? Is it like, uh, I mean, there has to be a function if it's dominating half of our waking hours. 
So part of the concept of, of mind wandering and distraction is rooted in the physiology of our stress response and our sympathetic nervous system. And you kind of alluded to the opposite when we were talking about solitude and you think some great is because they had the ability to kind of actually slow down, right? And spend some time in self uh, thoughtful self-reflection to actually see their stress in a different way. And so people who can, can do manage that skill are actually exercising their parasympathetic system, right? So there's a sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And what happens is most of our lives, we exercise the sympathetic all the time, especially if you're in a high stress population, like the ones I work with, we were actually trained to get put into these high stress situations and then told now do your job and be badass at it. But what we're not doing for these individuals is teaching them the other side, how to engage the parasympathetic, how to exercise that space. And so most of us don't spend our lives learning how to engage the opposite system, where actually we um, are rest and digest, recovery, restoration. Some of the greatest athletes and the people in the world that are the best in the world at what they do, they're learning how to exercise the parasympathetic, learning how to train their mind to kind of quiet it, to um, learning how to tap into the linking their physiology, right? Their mind and their body in a connected way where they are not mind wandering. They live to more in the present moment. And that's kind of what we're finding that back in the day before we had all these things to distract us. And, you know, if you think of your mind like a computer, right, you have all these windows open all the time. And when you're in your sympathetic nervous system, you want all the, the windows open, right? You're like trying to task manage, you're trying to do all these things. But what happens is that's just how we spend our lives instead of closing them every once in a while, right? And kind of learning how to be in this space that's maybe a little bit slower more full of solitude, more full of being in the present moment. Um, and that's the kind of what we're finding in today's world is that we need to re-engage that side of our physiology and learn how to tap into it. And one of the things that I, I use as an example, we have a problem, there's no doubt, with our veteran population, um, it, both with first responders and with the military, where people retire, people separate, and whether it's suicide, domestic violence, um, substance abuse, most of the time, those individuals are uncomfortable once their world comes to a stop right? They had this military, this high-paced career. I think NFL players, there's also a stat that says that they have a hard time with the transition, right? Well, it's um, uh, it, very similar to military. And I think that's why um, a lot of the narratives and a lot of stuff that, you know, we talk here about power athlete applies a lot because uh, it's so regimented and it's so like high motor and like it's very fixed and there's like this high level of performance that's required and you go through that and it becomes your life for, you know, a decade for me. Uh, then all of a sudden it ends one day and they put their foot in your ass and kick you out the door and you're standing around and you're like, now what do I do? And, uh, I was pretty interesting. I, um, I don't not to go too far off the rails, but, um, uh, I think I was a little bit different in that um, a lot of NFL players and a lot of high-performing athletes don't really understand the process that it took them to get there. So I wasn't what I would say like extremely physically gifted when I was younger. Like I was a, like a good athlete and I matured, but like through training and then actually kind of being a late bloomer, I had kind of created a uh, almost like 
like a process, like a matrix. Like I, I understood how I got from point A to point B. So when I got injured or something happened, I just went back to the same process and allowed me to go on and play, you know, at the uh, highest level for a decade in the NFL. And uh, when I retired and it was over, it was I just took the same process and applied it to real life. And, hey, I'm going to start this company. I'm going to do this. And I just went with the same uh, exact mindset, you know, and uh, have since been doing this for 10 years and continue to grow it and move in the same way. And when people are like, you know, you didn't really struggle in the transition. And I was like, well, I had the skills in place. Uh, I went to college. I graduated early. I did my master's work. I mean, I had all of these processes in place so that I knew how to accomplish things. When you just show up and you're naturally good at anything and everybody kisses your ass and, you know, the only way you're not getting the NFL is if you got hit on a bus on the, you know, on the way to the, you know, uh, the practice facility, then like a lot of people don't have the skills in place. Um, you know, two things. Uh, remember my mom told me when I was little, the worst thing you can be in this world is a rich man's son. And I always would like laughed. And one time I asked her and she's like, you know, um, people that are successful have a process and they know how they got successful. When you just have money and you show up and you've never known struggle, then you don't have that process in place. And that's why when you see really rich men, their sons always never be are never able to extend it because the same process that the father went through, the son doesn't have to. I mean, the, I forgot it was like the king of Saudi Arabia said, you know, my grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I drove a Mercedes. My son drove a Ferrari. My great grand or my grandson will drive will ride a camel. Same type of thing. And uh, having these processes for success, and I think why we've been successful in working with athletes is I understood that process. But also, um, I had like a I was a classics major, a rhetoric major, and I had to read like. Uh, you know, 20, 30 books a semester. And a lot of it was like, you know, like Marcus Aurelius and a lot of this early stuff. And there was always this like, uh, know thyself and this reflection of the individual and uh, being present in the moment. And, you know, people that live in the, in the future are anxious. People that live in the past are depressed. And if you can learn to live in the moment and enjoy the moments and like, you know, succeed within it. And then I couple that with a uh, extreme fear of failure where like um, the fear of failure, which isn't, isn't crippling to me. It what wakes me up every morning and kicks me in the butt at 5am to get up and go and train and live my life and run this company. Um, like coupled with that, like, but it comes down from this like uh, deep kind of, um, you know, whether it's in training and meditation, I mean, like, and when I say meditation for me, that's like work or it's, uh, you know, like he would like working here outside or, you know, welding, working on cars or lifting weights or anything. Or it's like kind of what I view as my church where I get to like review and kind of break down these pieces and think through complex problems and how we're going to attack these things. And like, whether it be a father or a husband, these things, like you have to work through all of these different pieces that you just can't just go willy nilly and start shooting bullets at things that you have to work through issues and work through problems and like break them into a bunch of little pieces and mix them all up and throw them back out again. So that when somebody asks you, what do you think? All of a sudden you, you know, spit things out and you've have thought through these things where it's thoughtful. And I was at, um, uh, my neighbor, Jesse James, who's the bike, uh, car builder and he builds guns now invited me to go to a church this last weekend. And, uh, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, and then also Dakota Meyer won the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, were actually speaking when I was kind of interested to hear them speak. And as I got up there, they were asking them about their fathers. And uh, I always want, whenever I go hear people speak or I'm, I'm like uh, sitting in the audience, I always want the people that are speaking or presenting to be the best version of themselves. 
I, I, I have this like inherent desire for like the greatness of people. And I want people to blow me away. I want to be inspired by everybody that I see. And like, I want to hear their successes. I want to hear their failures and I want to hear the growth. And I want to know that I'm not fucking weird that I've thought through all this stuff. And as they were sitting on stage, I realized Dakota Meyer is pretty young. He's like 30, 32. He did some really amazing stuff and won a congressional medal of honor. But I realized he's has never thought through a lot of this stuff. And when they asked him questions about his father, he, you know, and then people that were influential in his life, it was like, uh, and he just started giving cliches. And my wife, like when we were leaving, she's like, like, what's wrong? I'm like, I wanted like I wanted to like go over there and grab him and be like, dude, as a father, I want you to think through these things. Like, here's the tools that you need so that when you get up as a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, everybody in that 300 audience knows that not only are you a switched on cat that did, you know, the highest level that did some amazing stuff, but like had thought through what you've done and just didn't speak in strange cliches. And then you get on the other side, you got Rick Perry gets up who had, you know, career politician, you know, uh, um, gets up and starts spinning this narrative of like this small town boy done good. And I'm hearing it and it just reminds me of every other politician and why we don't like politicians. And he's a, I'm not saying he's a disingenuous dude, but it was so like long dramatic pauses, the same thing. I'm like, man, I, I just want to hear genuine, honest people that have thought through things and are putting me in a situation where I can be inspired. And, uh, that's all I hope. I mean, that's what the, the greatest thing about this podcast has been is that it's forced me to, uh, think through my own stuff, but also I get to connect with people like you and hear these things. And like, honestly, I'd listen to it and I'm like, man, thank God I'm not weird. Like, and, and, uh, like that's what I, and, and I'm sure you're in the same thing where it's like, you know, you, you're teaching people to be present and like, you know, if you're so focused on what's on your phone or out here or here that you forget what's in front of you, like, how can you ever be happy? How can you ever have calming in your soul or in your mind where you close your eyes at night and you feel, uh, I did a good day's work. I can sleep through the night and I'll wake up and get it and I'll put my food, you know, my boots on the on, or I'll put my feet on the ground and I'll go do it again. And then like that feeling of like, I'm not a fraud. And I think what I run into with a lot of people, and I get this when I talk to them, we're on podcasts or I interact, I get this feeling that people are really nervous, like that they like in their hearts, they're like, am I a fraud? Do I really know? Am I, does this person know it? And I think what's interesting for people like, like you and for people like us that uh, have thought through a lot of these things, people are scared to death of that. And I'm sure you go into this thing and you're like, man, I've thought through this stuff. I'm pretty sharp. I've done some stuff. You know, you've been a mom. You've been, you know, you're, you're a mom, you're a wife. You've, you, you've gotten to the highest level of fighter pilot. And people probably go in and they're like, man, this chick switched on. I'm, I, hope I, I hope I don't get exposed in this thing. And that's what's uh, really kind of blowing me away recently. So that's my soul. Sorry, sorry to get too far off on it. No, that's great. I, I think if I can give maybe a psychological framework to what I, I'm, I just took from what you said, um, focus on being rather than on doing. Right. Most of us get tied to an identity. We uh, grow up and we say, this is who I am. I'm a soccer player or I'm a football player or I'm a pilot, right? Like I wore a flight suit for many years and could easily be identified as, oh, she's a female pilot. And I could let that become like what I, what I do for a job becomes who I am. And what you're talking about is the deeper work right? The harder work. And, and I get critiqued all the time. People think that I'm teaching the military or, you know, these high stress uh, occupations, how to be soft. 
And that's so far from the truth because what I teach, this is not soft skills. Like these are hard skills. They require commitment. They require time. They require the ability to slow down, the ability to invest in learning more about who you really are so that you can be that. It's not, uh, you know, we need to stop tying ourselves to what we do and spend the time to really figure out who we are and then let the doing come after right? Like once you're solid and who you are, like I sensed from you, you understood that, you know, your success was tied to you being good at facing challenges and accomplishing hard things in tough situations. And so that's how you got into the NFL. Like you worked hard and you got to that space. And then once you left the NFL, you knew, well, I'm still someone who works really hard. I can start my own company and I can meet these challenges. And no matter what, um, failures I have, I know that I can continue and grow from them. A lot of people, and that's about being who you are. A lot of people don't know that about themselves, nor do they spend the time to really think about it. So they get tied to just those singular identifying characteristics. And once that do they away, want to, I mean, uh, like, it, like, like, that's another thing I really wrestle with. Like, do like um, everybody in the proverbial H, you know, hand job, of course, I want to know who I am. But do people really want to know that stuff? Like, that's the, that's the interesting thing. And like, that's the question, like, it's so much easier just to attach my identity to these various things, like, oh, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. But when you're talking about like, knowing who you are, and, and the being, do people really want to do the work that it takes, or more importantly, like the reflection and like the stripping away, and the fucking honesty to be like, you know what? Um, uh, like, like to me, that's uh, I, I run into a lot of people that I think and it's it's whether it's it's lazy or it's just painful. Don't want to really go through the self-reflective process. Well, John, think about it. I mean, we've over the past 15, 20 years, we've trended towards a life of convenience, which we've talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. And then going back to water finding its level, you you put those two together. People are going to gravitate towards what's convenient, what's easy and what doesn't disrupt their daily so routine well what's to sit down and slow down and like if i know i struggle with it it's like the most the least rewarding thing leading up to it is like sitting down slowing down journaling and and meditating like i don't want to fucking do that but then afterwards you it just is so rewarding and it's like this weird uh dichotomy because it's easier just to go fast go 100 miles an hour and break through a fucking wall for our personality types right and I think it just comes down to that, that trending towards convenience. Well, my, um, when I, and, uh, I learned a ton from my mom and dad, uh, but not really like, uh, like more an observation. Like my dad was never like a big life lesson dude, but like just through his example, my mom, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> um, funny in a lot of ways, but yeah, uh, <laughs> she, uh, I remember she told me when I was pretty young, she's like, you know, uh, um, the strongest deal is forged in the hottest metal or, uh, in the hottest fires. And she's like, if you want to be the, the strongest deal, um, she's like, you got to put yourself in the deepest water, the, you know, the hottest fires. And so I perpetually for my entire life have looked for the deepest pool for the, the biggest challenge, the hottest temperature and like the hotter, the better, the more challenging, the better. Uh, you know, if we're going to go like, you know, I love training camp because it was not only hard, but it was hot. And we were out there with gear and people hated it. And like the, the, the suffering and the hate and the dislike and the discomfort on people's faces was like uh, a, a double shot of espresso for me. Like I would feed off of that. And I'd be like, if this is how you look and you feel, and I see that like people where they're so defeated in your face, almost like, 
like that's what like you know I can hear the battle cry I can hear the horns like beating in like the back of my head with that and uh, I remember I told somebody that and they're like you're a sick fuck and I'm like dude I just like for me if I can see some physical representation if I can see that clock or you know when it says it's 110 degrees out there and we're gonna go out and do it like I want to be in the the deepest pool the biggest stress I want to be in those situations because um like how else do you know that you're really alive? Like running out on the field in front of all those people, like that's, those are the moments that I, that I remember that, Hey, this is why I'm alive. This is why I'm here. Like the whole life of comfort that we've grown into, like it just, it blows my mind that people are so quick to gravitate towards that. And, um, you know, it's easy. Yeah, it's easy. It's the default. Do you, have you guys heard of the motivational triad? Like what motivates all living things? Food, money, food, and shame. (laughs) <laughs> that's actually we found and you'll joke about this there's three factors that motivate at least men uh us it was uh money right so if there's a bet and we're gonna bet money if there's a, something that involves food and the other most powerful motivating factor on this planet is shame and the problem is is in our society now where like we can't like uh it just a kinder and gentler existence well, than was it was now yeah shaming like someone you hate um uh, i tell these guys like <laughs> It's not not being good at things and the shame of like not feeling like I was uh, up to par and I needed to be better was like uh, a massive driving factor in my life. Like I remember walking into lift weights when I was 14 years old and like other kids being, oh, that's where I start. Like I had never lifted weights. And when we had to like lift weights, I wasn't as strong as I as I thought I should be. And the shame of not feeling like I was where I needed to be, even though I'd never lifted weights like drove me to go lift, you know, to attack it, like with everything I had. When I went out and played football, I didn't, I'd never played football. I had been, I'd done fighting and boxing, other things, and I didn't know how to play, but like the feeling that I should be good at this, why aren't I not? And the shame of like, I need to be better. Like that was a motivating factor. And uh, like, and what's funny today is people are like, oh, shaming's bad. I'm like, dude, shame's a powerful motivator. Don't take that from people. What, was this Dan Pink, the Motivation 3.0 Purpose Mastery? And I'm forgetting his last one. No, I'm talking about the motivational triad that's like uh, the physiological oh, okay. um, response of all living things, which kind of can fit into your into kind of what you guys have been describing in your mold too. Really, it's, you know, the pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of pain, and then the conservation of energy and doing those two things, right? That's like at the root and core of what we are as living things, right? It's the same that like a shark, um, you know, going out and saying, I'm hungry and I need to get food and I'm going to kill the easiest kill, right? Like it's the same concept. And so we as human beings also are motivated by that. And I think that's the power behind our fast food industry, our pharmaceutical industry, right? It's like easy buttons, right? Can I get avoiding my pain, getting to my pleasure as quickly as possible? And I have to do the least amount of work in the process. And um, it's kind of what's ingrained in most of us. And so some of us have a natural tendency to overcome that, right? To, to have other things that motivate us um, that require work and realize that life does require hard work. There aren't any hacks or easy ways around um, getting what you, what you want out of life. Um, but at the core, that's a lot of times, I think why when you guys were asking a lot of people don't do the things that I'm trying to promote and the, the hard work it takes to train our minds to get to a space uh, where we can succeed professionally and personally in life. 
it's because that's not our natural tendency as humans. And I also think many of us only change through pain and suffering. And so while a lot of times I teach this information, there are people in the audience that are ready for it, right? Like they know they need uh, to make a, dif- make a different choice. They know they need to get control of their thoughts and their lives and their stress. And so they're willing to put in some work. But then there's other people who sit there and they're like, I'm already a badass. Like, I don't need any of this. Like, I'm good. And I hope that at least in those situations, you plant a seed. Because hopefully, you know, well, not hopefully, but there will be a time that they will face some type of adversity that really puts them to the test and may put them in a place where that pain and suffering now is the impetus for change. So um, you're right. There's all different like places on the spectrum of human behavior and then also how we were raised the cultural um and family uh things we were exposed to whether those were traumas or whether those were positive uh role modeling um that might set us up on a a different path to be more motivated um uh by the hard work i know that was me like every time someone told me no it just motivated me to want to get to the yes uh, in an, in a faster and more effective way. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, none of you got to where you're at by taking no for answers and just trying to take the easy path. Well, the, uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was, uh, called, uh, the last dragon. And it was, it's kind of the show enough movie, but I remember the statement and, uh, I did martial arts when I was younger was like, when the student's ready, the master appears. And, uh, that piece was like, I, I always thought about it. Like, Uh, not everybody's ready for everything at the time at which it's presented to them. I'm sure you go teach seminars and like people there are like ready for this information. They're ready for a life change. And it's like, you know, like when the student's ready and uh, that piece has been very interesting. And what we do is uh, you can tell when people are ready to, you know, like absorb the information, make a life change and want to be a better version of themselves. I mean, you said something in the, when you, in the opening that like your goal is to make people better versions of themselves. Um, that's exactly what like our mission statement fits within power athlete. Like I want to provide people the tools to make the best version of themselves. And I want people to come and always present their best foot. I, I want to see, like, show me the best you have. Um, like the, uh, I've, do you remember when we were in like in um I remember when I was a kid in school like elementary school I remember like I always studied hard and I always wanted to do well and I remember this kid was like well yeah I I could do really well if I studied too if I tried I just don't try and I was like why wouldn't you try well uh, um getting good grades is like you know this and I was like that's the worst thing I've ever heard like why wouldn't you go and study and put your best foot forward and like I was trying to like as I was listening to this and I realized I was like Uh, this is a cop out. And even at like in fourth grade, I was like, I I think that, you know, I didn't call the kid a coward, but I was like, I think this is a cop out. I think that you're just not smarter that you just are afraid to try it. Like, and that's so weird to me. I would much rather try and fail than like be like, Oh, and just dismiss it. I mean, I'm dealing with a, uh, writing an email for a guy like uh, today in response where, you know, um, people are so quick to, you know, put themselves out there that there's this kind of this defense mechanism of their ego, where if I don't really invest and people do this in relationships, well, if I had really sold out and tried and been like the best husband or best boyfriend or best, you know, this, then, uh, I would have done well, but I didn't. So it didn't work out. And it's almost that protection instead of saying, dude, I put my cards on the table. I went all in and it didn't work. You know what? I'll learn something from it. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go on to something else. And I wonder uh, why that defense, like why people are so adverse to risk in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a couple things going on. First, many people are not self-aware. 
Um, and you know, in our society today, I think self-awareness has become this like passing feeling that every once in a while we become self-aware of how, you know, we're interacting with our environment and other people and how, um, it's like the distraction in the mind can be a barrier to accomplishing our objectives. Um, I want to train people to bring self-awareness as a trait, right? If you can carry self-awareness as a trait with you all day, I think um, you're, you're, you're more present, right? You're more in that space where greatness can happen, where you can take risks because you see them for what they are. You don't see them for the imagination and the stories that you build up in your head. Um, you know, I like to think like our comfort zone is a bull, is the, like a bullseye and outside of your comfort zone, there's a ring of challenge and outside of that ring, there's a ring of fear. And a lot of times in my workshops, I ask people, do you just sit in your comfort zone? Right. And there's people all over the world today that sit in their comfort zones behind keyboards, right. And judge people who are outside and their challenge ring and their risk ring and fear ring you know, taking those risks and a lot of times it doesn't pan out, but that's where growth and learning also occur. Um, and here's the thing about your comfort zone. If you stay there, you will stay safe as a human being, but you will also stay small. You will never truly see who you are, what you can become unless you get out there and put yourself to the test. Um, and take those risks. And I think we have a culture that's very risk adverse. I think at some point, and I haven't quite figured out where that transition happens. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with parenting, but there's a point in our lives where, you know, when we were little kids and it was Saturday morning, like maybe you guys remember watching Saturday morning cartoons. It was the only time you got to really watch cartoons. And as soon as it was over, your parents would say, okay, you can go outside and play. And you would just run outside and play. And you didn't think about, oh, wait, my shirt doesn't match my shorts or my hair isn't brushed. Or maybe I shouldn't climb that tree because, you know, I might fall. You just ran outside, right? Like Phoebe from Friends. And you didn't care what you looked like or what people thought of you. You just wanted to go and have fun. And you saw the joy in those activities. There become there comes a transition in our life where we now become aware of other people's um, perceptions, right? And then it, it actually takes away some of our self-awareness and present moment because we become more worried about what other people think. And so then we don't step into our challenge ring or we don't step into our fearing because um, we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of judgment. And we've really lost the joy in the things that we do in life. And I, I, I think a lot of that happens when parents, right? It's a learned behavior. And so parents that start to kind of tell their kids, are you really going to go outside looking like that? Or, you know, like uh, they're the, you know, we put stress on our children all the time when we tell them, hurry, 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 stop look, smelling the roses. Like we got to go. And so we build this in them as they age and they grow, or we tell them things like you're an amazing soccer player. And so then they get an identity at six, year, six years old that I'm a soccer player. I'm not a hard worker. I'm just a soccer player. Um, so there's a lot of that. I think that we as a society and as, as parents could help um, our children. And I would love to start working with kids one day. Um, well, I, I think um, it, it, I, I think you're in the right space working with the parents because I know for my kids, I, I was laughing watching my, because uh, my three-year-old little boy, uh, he just forgets clothes and pants. So like, and as, it happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, all the time, like, uh, you know, um, so we were in, in, in uh, Newport Beach or Orange County and we moved here to Texas and I bought a pretty decent size, like 16 acres. And we built the office 
uh, our gym and everything's up here and everything's encased. So here at the office, my house is right there. And like, we'll be there and like, I'll hear be like, ah, naked little boy running. And my little boy will like come to the gate and I'll watch him scale the gate buck naked in a set of boots and come running down. And I'll be like, thank God. I, uh, you know, but like that same thing of like, um, um, like, seeing land and it was pretty interesting like i i forgot like uh you forget a little bit about like what it's like to be a kid until you have your own kids and uh instead and like i'm so stoked for them all the time like i'm like so happy you guys get to run around and like wear mismatched shoes and socks and like i I try to like i i see it and i just laugh and they're like what i'm like no i just think it's great like i'm stoked to see this like uh, don't like don't let the world like dictate who you are and um yeah it's uh I think is as parents, um, and this is something that I've only seen or I try not to do, but I see it because we're around other kids and their parents. Uh, the parents fears get put on the kid like, Oh, you're going to hurt yourself. And it's not because the kid's going to hurt themselves because the parent, it's not something that they would do or they think they would hurt themselves. So like I get into this whole thing and I've, you know, Luke's soon to be a father, like don't let your fears become your kid's fears. Like, uh, and, and I see that all the time. Like, um, uh, my daughters came home and they're, I have twin girls and they're seven and they were asking me about, uh, like, uh, fat people or people or like people that weren't in good shape. And I'm like, where'd you learn that? And she said that one of their friends at school, their mom who was heavy told her, told the little girl, like, don't eat that. You're going to be fat. And they were like, so they're coming home and telling this story and they're like, but, and I, and like, as they're explaining to him, like, but her mom's real fat. And I'm like, what the, what are you guys talking about? You guys are six or seven years old. You're in first grade. Like, why is this even an issue? And I realized this is the parents, um, like putting this on their kids and then they go and they're talking to my kids. And so then I have to explain that to them. And they were like asking me and I'm like, don't worry, you guys are, uh, you guys will be fine. You guys eat like probably better than 99.99% of the world. And on top of it, your mom is uh, like shredded out where she could probably step on and win a, a you know, fitness show within like, you know, a, a week's notice. I'm like, you guys are fine in the genetic thing, but like, why, like, like what? And then we started talking about like lunches, like what are the other kids eating? And you get through this whole thing where I break it down and then you start trying to give them observation and like give them these tools so that they can go and deal with this stuff. But like the fact that I have to talk to my six year old, seven year old little girls about this because other parents are letting their fears govern them. I'm like, dude, this is like, I want to go to school and go talk to that mom, you know, and be like, Hey, you want to, you, you know, instead of talking about this, why don't you just show the example? Like I learned a hell of a lot more by the observation or by observation example than I ever did from parents talking, you know, the mom like, Hey, don't eat that. But then she's eating it. Or the dad who says, you know, Hey, you know, don't go out and uh, do this, but then they do. And they sit on the couch and drink beer all day. So it's just, it's pretty interesting how people put their fears on their kids and then those fears become manifested. And honestly, I think the issue is that we're not even aware we're doing it. You know, like I don't, I think if parents truly realize that some of these behaviors can be, you know, damaging to the future performance and well-being of their children, like, of course we wouldn't do it. It's just, this is how our minds work, right? Like we do things and say things, especially if it's in that high stress over, uh, like an overreaction from an emotional space that occurs that it's kind of like we're going down the path before we even realize we're in it and almost immediately like you regret it. Right. And that's when we're in distress, that right side of the curve. That's not really good. We tend to do things and then immediately think, Oh, I should not have done that. But in the moment you felt kind of out of control. So what I help teach people is emotional regulation, right? How to stay on the eustress side of the curve 
how to exercise the parasympathetic, how to bring self-awareness as a trait so that you catch yourself sooner. Cause even, you know, I teach this stuff and I lose my shit with my kids sometimes. Like I do, like I am human, but I'd like to think that I have a higher level of self-awareness. So I catch myself sooner now. Um, in fact, there was an instance talking about your daughter. So I have a six-year-old son. And we just moved to Utah. And um, is that is that thunder in the background that I keep hearing? Yes, yes, it's like it's, <laughs> I, 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 I think like as, as I'm hearing it, like I'm like uh, you know I know it's not noise, I know it's thunder because I can hear like the roll, and but I'm like the beauty is syncing up with her points. Well, Most threats ominous. Well, where uh, where in Utah? <laughs> I was hoping it. No. So I'm in Colorado, actually, right now. Oh. My daughter is at the Air Force Academy doing some sports camps, um, hopefully inside because there's a huge thunderstorm. Oh, yeah. Thunder, lightning, hail I see out there. We live in um, Texas. So that uh, that might even though it's sunny right now in three minutes, we might have that exact same deal. So that's going to be there. Yeah. Um, well, I live in Utah full time now. And my son and I, I've been a snowboarder my whole life. I've never skied. And um, I mean, growing up on Southern, in Southern California, I never even really went to the snow much. I was more on the beach and then went to Colorado to go to college and learn how to snowboard. And so for 20 years, I've been a snowboarder. And now that we live in Utah, we're literally the mountains like 20 minutes away. I was like, I'm going to learn to ski. And my son, I'm going to, you know, he's going to learn to ski this year. And just, you know, a couple months ago, we're standing at the top of a black diamond and I'm sitting up there and I'm like, okay, Andrew, this is how we're going to get down this hill. We're going to go that way to the left first. Cause it looks a little, you know, less steep and then we'll stop reevaluate then maybe turn right. And all of a sudden he just goes, bye mom. Awesome. And like, like all of a sudden I was like, holy crap. Like I, here I was about to put all my fears on him and he's like, let's just have fun. Yeah. You know, let's just have fun. And then he's like, see you at the bottom. So, um, even I have to kind of, remember, you know, um, and, and bring that extended self-awareness about presenting and providing those fears, uh, to my kids. Um, because it is like, we, we have lost the fun in the things that we do and the passion and the joy. And that's why I think it's so valuable to do that deep work, to figure out the being part of your life. Like, who do you want to be? Um, otherwise, you know, the other thing that happens is we wake up in the morning and there are 1,440 minutes in a day or 86,400 seconds. And many times we'll let one thing, right? One thing maybe we saw on social media or one interaction we had with someone. Is that, that thunder again? I think it sounds um, awesome. And, and it, care, it keeps with us all day. It changes our trajectory. It sours our mood. It, even the next morning when we wake up, we feel that pit in our stomach. And so when you know who you are, you can wake up and, and I teach my kids this too. We take two deep breaths in the morning and then we, we all have, I have a life philosophy. They're not quite there yet. We're working on it, but they kind of share mine. And then we also talk about our intentions for the day and we say, this is what, who we are. And this is what, you know, how we're going to be better today. And I think that's so powerful because otherwise our minds will just keep going back to the negative and the stressors and the worry and the catastrophes we're building. Why, and, um, why I want my was kids it, to live a life a different way. Why was it when we were kids and I remember geez, first, second grade, uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And now it's like uh, things on the Internet, like destroy people. And like I like like you said, like you've you've said twice, like, oh, something on social media pops up. I'm like, 
uh, I tend to like see, I mean, we, we have social media for the company and I have like my personal thing and like, uh, our designer guy has to ping me to remind me to put stuff out there cause I'm, uh, I'm kind of selfish. Um, I like to take pictures or like have moments in my life that are important to me. And I don't always like to share them with a whole bunch of people I don't really know. And so, uh, like, it's pretty interesting where I hear people get so riled up over this and that and social media. And my wife will be like, did you read this? And I'll be like, like, calm down, like, uh, like uh, control it. Like, uh, like we argue on this all the time where I'm like the political landscape is going to be the political landscape. Like, uh, I don't think anybody's doubting that uh, Trump is a you know crazy person. Anybody that claims to be a stable genius is probably a crazy person, but like, we'll get a new person. Like, and if America doesn't like him, we'll get another person. And like that, you know, how is that affecting my day to day and realizing that I think people get stuck in this idea of like, I'm going to worry about all this stuff I have no control over. Like, uh, like there's like, believe me, all the picketing. I mean, they had a deal today where they were, you know, rallying about impeaching. I'm like, uh, like that. Uh, I can't control any of that stuff. Like it's so like, why am I going to put that, emo- um, uh, that amount of emotional energy into it that like completely ruins people's day? And I see on social media all the time. I'm like, man, this is uh fucking tiring. I don't know how you guys just don't go home and drink at night or maybe people do. And that's why, you know, pills and this and, you know, everybody kind of is doing this self-medicating thing where I'm like, man, like, like you said, man, like control your circle. Maybe if like, uh, you know, like keep your circle smaller. So it's actually, you know, something that you can connect within and then, you know, be the master of your domain, control what you can control and do the best job you can and realize that there's things outside my control that I can't, I can't necessarily mess with. Yeah. Here's the thing. How do you think our young people today, um, are dealing with that. I, I think, um, here's what I'm scared about is, uh, we are in a situation where the entire world is in our pockets and access to the entire world. And like, all of a sudden it feels like something that's happening, you know, across the street is as real as something that's happening on the other side of the world because access, like I was thinking like when I was a kid, I remember like my dad would read the entire Sunday newspaper and then like proceed to lecture us on all the things that we didn't read and that, that he would talk to us about and like, you know, hearing about this and this and realizing like, like these might've been fantasy stories. This could have been Tom Sawyer telling, you know, tall tales, but now because the information is so readily available to us, it becomes very much more real. And then you also have to remember the way that the information is presented to us. Uh, I don't believe is in an honest filter. I think a lot of stuff is tinted in such a way to, to, to derive a certain response out of us. And because, uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't extremely switched on. They can't see the manipulation aspect of this. And so, I mean, you know, like that's, you know, you look at different news outlets and you hear different things and you realize that somebody is tinting this lens. I mean, even down to, you know, looking at social media and Facebook, the way that the algorithms are put together is so that certain information is put in front of you. And it's like at the end of the day, like you can plug into that and feel this, like, like you said, like the serotonin release and dopamine and all these other, you know, key uh, factors can be literally spiked. And if you were to absorb it, or you can just turn it off and try to do the best that you can within your existence and control the things that you can control. And just, you know, at the end of the day, try to be the best version of yourself and not a piece of shit, which seems like a lot of people are really struggling with that. Yeah. I think the latest research uh, tells us that we are now more emotionally tied to the things we see and experience on our digital devices than we are to the things going on in our real relationships in the world around us, which I think is a very dangerous 
kind of place for especially our young people who aren't taught how to regulate their emotions, who um, are in a space, you know, changes, hormones, where everything seems like the end of the world and such a big deal. And the stories that they tell themselves about what's going on in their life can be very um, damaging. Uh, to like, um, you know, our ability to understand the complex environments that we operate in. And so teaching, I think, young people psychological flexibility, teaching them healthy relationships with with digital devices, emotional regulation, um, I think can pay such dividends. How do we do um, that? I mean, well, I mean, uh, you as like, a um, you know, kind of a skilled educator in this and with the experience, like, uh, like working with your own kids, like, uh, you know, I have three, like I constantly am dealing with this. And the thing which is crazy is uh, because and this this is kind of a shitty thing, which I realized is because uh, our business is very internet online based. I mean, it's, you know, we have things in person, but a lot of our interactions are this, like kids see me on the computer or on the phone and they're like, well, you're on your phone, you're on your computer. What are you doing? I'm like, uh, I get like two to 400 emails a day. And then we have social media and I have all these other things that I have to manage. And we have programs and train her, you know, all these different touch points. Like I'm just not surfing Google or like, you know, trying to see what, you know, like, and it's like, I, um, and I try to tell them, like, if my job wasn't involved within, like, you know, this Internet kind of fitness sphere that we're doing here, I was like, I, I honestly, I probably have a flip phone that only did text and phone calls. Like, I just don't know if, if, if I would need it or want it because, um, one, it's distracting. And two, I wonder about the example. Like, I mean, how many times like uh, we, we go play, uh, I take my kids to soccer and I do the best to like, I leave my phone and everything in the cars because I want to be present and actually see them play because what happens is they're playing. They always look up to see if you're looking and if you're not in your phone, then they're, you know, and I watch the kids do it and every parent is on a phone and they always are looking to catch their parents' attention. And then they kind of like look and they go back and I'm like, fuck. Like, I want to like go and be like, you know, your kids are watching. Like, what is this teaching them? Like, what is so important? And like, there's been stuff that's been uber important within our business that we have to get done immediately. And I'm always like, man, like that's the tempering thing where like now you show your kids that or the, the people around you that what I'm doing and they don't know, they just see you on the phone. They don't know if you're, you know, listening to Spotify or Facebook or instantly and whatever it looks like. They just know that you are not connected in such a way. And, um, yeah, that that affects your trust, right? And then your relationship building and, you know, whether it's as a parent or, you know, even as a leader, right? Because we have a lot of leaders, especially in high stress worlds like the military, who sometimes you walk into their office and they can't even stop typing their email, you know, as the, as you're talking to them. Or I think we have a pervasive problem where someone comes in and wants to have a conversation and they're sharing something that might be personal with them. And they're like, you're looking at me, but I can tell you are not paying attention or listening to what I say. And that breaks down trust that, you know, destroys leadership and teams. And the, but the, the sad part about it is like the majority of us don't intend to do that. This is just what our minds do in the society and the culture we live in today, which is why I think it's so vitally important to continue to do the work that I do to teach people that there's a better way um, to engage with others. Cause ultimately the distraction, the mind runner, right? I told you 50% of your day, that is like wasted time. 
So if you learn how to get that control back, now you've just opened up opportunity to do so much more in your day, you know, as a leader, as a parent, as a teammate. Um, And I think that's usually the talking point that most people are like, oh, okay, now I'm interested. Like you're going to give me more white space in my day. Um, Or instead of it taking two hours to accomplish a task, when I tell them, well, it really only takes you one hour because the other hour you're distracted, you know, put your phone away. Um, You know, when I was a commander, I had some strict policies. One was, you know, I didn't allow cell phones in meetings. If you came into my office, you didn't have your cell phone on you. I didn't have my cell phone next to me because there's research that says we're 20% of our mind is distracted by just having our cell phone in within our, uh, our eyes view. We're constantly thinking, is it, is someone liking my Facebook post or is, you know, somebody going to call or text? Do you have any reflections back from your military career that you thought was the most effective way to lead. And then now as you do more research, you learn and get to practically apply and teach others that you think back of maybe that was not the best. And you try to instill proper or tell a story of unsuccess that you've experienced as a leader. So one of the most important things that I've learned is, um, and I worked with some colleagues at the Profession of Arms Center of Excellence in the Air Force. I was a professionalism and leadership instructor. And um, we used to say, you need connection before you give direction. And so one of the things that I think was effective in the way that I led, which was definitely an unconventional way for a military unit, um, was that I focused on being connected with the people I led, not just a leader in name only, but exemplifying what it's like to actually pay attention to the folks you lead, um, to, uh, not sit behind my desk and lead from things like email. Like I personally, um, am not a good emailer. I, I don't like email. I remember when we, I first joined the air force, we didn't even have email and, um, or like 20 people would share one computer and you'd check your email for like 10 minutes a day. And then you'd go on and do your job. Now we all have a computer. We sit at our computers all day and we answer emails. Like, I just think that that's absolutely ridiculous. And I was going to refuse to lead that way. I did this thing called no email Friday when I was a commander. So Fridays, we were supposed to be out and about with the people that we led. Um, I actually had an out of office reply uh, saying, hey, I'm not going to check your email today. So if you really need me, call me on my phone. And you know what? That was actually a great empowerment tool because anyone, I had 400 people that worked for me. And if anyone needed me on Fridays, they had to really think or any of their leaders, because we tried to kind of do it uh, throughout the organization. They had to really think, well, do I need to bother her with this by picking up the phone or can I solve my own problem? Right. So it's an empowerment tool. Now, the trick was is Monday morning. I couldn't be like, well, you guys F that all up like you guys suck because then there goes no email Friday and empowerment. So then it's, hey, did, okay, maybe we failed forward. What did we learn from it? That kind of a, a, an experience. Um, but honestly, and I, I said this in my TED Talk, Colin Powell gave a speech where he talked about if you have trust, people will follow you, if only out of curiosity. And I think that summed up the, why it was successful, this kind of experiment, this unconventional leadership style that I used in the military was because I started with myself, right? I was an authentic leader. I connected, I listened, I paid attention. Um, and then I helped give them the same tool sets. 
um, and or skill sets and tools. And part of that was because they would ask me, they were like, how are you not losing your shit on a daily basis? <laughs> um, with like, my husband wasn't stationed with me and I had two small kids and leading this unit and flying airplanes. And, um, so they wanted to know what I was doing. And so that was my opportunity to share. And because I think I built the trust and the connection ahead of time, um, they were willing to go on this, you know, kind of different um, military journey. So I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I learned in that experience was first, you have to be authentic and you have to, you know, I, I go and consult and teach people about these skills all the time, but I always tell the leaders, you can't, it's not going to work if you're like, Hey, I'm not going to do that meditation stuff, or I'm not going to, um, really pay attention to you guys. I'm going to still be stressed and only sleep three hours a night and not eat healthy and not pay attention to my kids, but you guys all should, you know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You have to, um, in order to create culture change, you have to exemplify those things and, um, you'll have a higher performing organization when you do. Was there a lot of pushback? Did you have anyone above you saying, oh, that'll never work. And you stuck by your guns. What was that yeah. outsider <laughs> attacking you like? Um, yes. I think it, uh, what I was doing was not as appreciated until after it was done. Um, it's one of those things that while I was in it, uh, one of the critiques I got a lot of times was, will you just make people feel good? And first of all, I would say, thank you. Like best compliment ever. I'm glad that the people in my unit are happy to be there and like their workspace. And, um, you know, the number one reason people are disgruntled as work is because of their boss um, and the, the relationship that they don't have, um, with the people that they work with. So I took that as a compliment and I just let the skeptics, right. That was part of my motivation, um, was to just do what I, I always operate by what's the right thing, um, doing the right thing instead of doing things right. And doing things right in the military is doing it kind of like your boss did, right. Don't make waves kind of play by the, the rules. And, um, I pushed against all of that. And, I never asked my boss's permission to do something like no email Friday. I just did it. But if they sent me an email on a Friday, they got my out of office reply, just like everybody else. Um, and I'll say no one ever told me I could not do it, but I, I knew that there was a lot of skepticism um, in my methods, uh, which now are obviously appreciated because I, I have plenty of work to go around and, and, and discuss, uh, kind of the results of how I led this way and how it can help both the individual and the organization. So just some of the notes we had self-awareness and being, what is, what are some other steps that people can kind of add to their toolkit and really absorb to either teach their kids or take on themselves? So the, the foundational skill that I like to teach everybody really is mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness. And I, I equate it to doing mental push-ups. You know, everybody in these, in, in fact, in your population as well, will totally relate to the idea that you have to do physical push-ups, right? That it, like some type of physical exercise to better yourself 
uh, from a physical health perspective. It's the same exact thing. I, I don't do treatment. What I really focus on is prevention and performance. So it's almost like a mental prehab. And I know it's something that we don't talk about today. You know, we're getting a little bit better in our culture saying, oh, you have a problem. You should talk to someone that that's destigmatized, getting help. And what could we do now to set up prevention and protection for your brain to be exposed to psychological, emotional trauma and so that you can be more resilient? Um, on the other side. And so I think mindfulness really is a foundational skill um, because it's the mental push-ups that strengthens your attention system to stay more in the present moment, right? Like when we were kind of talking about our minds and the time travel, if you think of it like an iPod, we spend a lot of time in the fast forward, a lot of time in rewind. Mindfulness helps us practice sitting on the play button. And then the more you kind of practice that, uh, uh, that exercise, the more you'll live, your attention system will live forward, you know, in, in that play button and in the present moment, which is, I think then no matter what other skills you're learning or teaching, whether it's academics at school, athletics on the field, like leadership, technical expertise, and something like flying an airplane, when you're more present during those educational experiences, you're going to retain more information and be higher performing in those spaces. So that's why that's the first skill I always teach. And then I've recently built um, a program called Warrior's Edge. And it's with um, Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and then Dr. Michael Gervais, who's a high-performance sports psychologist who works with Olympians and world record holders. And um, so the three of us have built the Warrior's Edge program, which is both a live eight-hour training workshop and then a digital training course that is rooted in mindfulness at its core, right? Because that's that foundational skill set. But then we figured out that there's basically 16 principles of mindset that can be trained. So everything from optimism to confidence to control and focus and calm, these things, recovery, right? These things are vitally important to training our minds to change our thoughts so that we can perform and show up as the best version of ourselves, no matter what arena we're in. Janelle, Janelle, earlier in the in the podcast, you mentioned like the, the first step here is kind of awareness. And you, you start to grab onto awareness, let's just say in terms of being mindful or in the present. This might be a silly question, but how do you know if you're in the present? Like if someone here is listening like, man, I have no fucking clue. I have no clue if I'm... You're probably not in the present. Being self-aware. But are, are, there, are there tactics to identify those times and then, and then kind of ring yourself into it and get like be present. Mm -hmm. So when you practice mindfulness and the way that I usually have, have people ha um, kind of introduce it is we do like a mindful minute and we can do one. If you guys want to try it or try it with your listeners, although Let's I would yep, do it. Yes. Okay. If anyone's driving their car, I would just suggest not closing your eyes. Yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> here's, here's how I always practice. There's only it. two or three people listening, so it's not that big a deal. Okay, okay. That's right. I love you, Mom. Um, yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> so the thing about um, mindfulness, right, it's, an, it's a mental exercise. It's mental push-ups. 
So what we're going to do is, you know, it's a strength, it's a way to strengthen your attention system. And if you think of your attention system, like a flashlight, right, it can be laser focused externally at whatever is going on and is most prominent in our conscious experience, but it can also be laser focused internally at thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Okay. So when we exercise and practice mindfulness, we're trying to get our attention system focused in the present moment, not at those thoughts, feelings, and emotions. It's not about, and I want to be clear, it's not about making having no thoughts or pushing your thoughts away it's just focusing on something different and letting the thoughts just be um, and not having control over your actions and your behaviors and that's the skill set right that's what we're learning so the way to practice mindfulness is you need to anchor on something that is in your present moment and the easiest thing to do is our breath right and here's the cool thing about our breath it is free and it's always with us so no matter where you're at, right, I'm going to teach you how to use something that you will have with you, whether you're in a high speed aircraft, you're in a convoy, you're, in, you know, responding to an emergency, or you're just having a fight with your spouse, right? Like you have a tool now to use. So we anchor on our breath, but I want you to pick a single sensation of your breathing. Maybe it's the way the air goes in and out of your nostrils or the rise or fall of your belly or chest, but I want you to pay very close attention to that sensation, all right, as you're taking these nice deep breaths. And we're going to take the deep breaths for a minute. Now, in that minute, your mind will wander, right? And so that's where you lose your awareness is when your mind wanders, okay? So say you're focusing on the air going in and out of your nostrils, all of a sudden your mind starts wondering about your to-do list of what you've got to do this afternoon, First step is becoming aware that you're wandering and then come right back to your breath. And then maybe a couple seconds later, you're going to start mind wandering on something else again, awareness, back to your breath. Every time you lose focus, regain it, that is a mental push-up, right? That is strengthening your attention system. So you guys ready to try it? We'll do a minute. I'm just wondering if like McQuilkin's mind just keeps floating to the fact that he's wearing women's boating shoes. Mm -hmm. We're all ready. <laughs> It's somewhere between. We are ready <laughs> to shoot roll. His next shoe selection. Let's go ahead and. and he's uh, like, what, what other color can I get women's boating mute shoes us. in? I'm wearing just, black ones. We're mute. So just to give you some background. We're mute. We don't have to. Uh, Chris ordered we're some shoes. We're wasting <laughs> one full minute. Chris ordered some shoes online. You're living in the past. That showed I'm up. to be in the present, John. <laughs> Do you want uh, to show our guest your shoes? Yeah. They're, no, no, no. I'm, I'm living in the present. <laughs> He mistakenly ordered some shoes online, and when they showed up, they were women's boating shoes, and he rolled them in not knowing they were women's shoes. And yeah. now he's just rocking them, trying to just play it off, and they're women's boating the shoes. The thing about, and Janelle, the thing about Tex is he's proud of his shoes, so he has a whole different gallop and posture as he presents his new shoes at the gym at 6 a.m. training. It's like when he opens the door, he envisions that wind is blowing through his hair, there's light shining behind him. Kind of flash dance is what I was yeah. really picturing. There might be a bucket of water that hits him. And, you know, I love it. You're rocking it. Yeah. yeah Dodson's law. I'm on that high end. And then, when, and, and then he comes in <laughs> low anxiety. And then we come in and we're like, you know, those are women's shoes. And he's like, no. And, and then so I the complete opposite of the curve. And then I Googled women's boating shoes and they were the first ones that popped up. <laughs> That's a lot. So <laughs> we've wasted a minute. Burn ban is off. Let's go into the mindful minute. Okay. Hard pivot, hard pivot back to mindful minute. Got it. Sorry about that. Listeners. No, no, no. That's okay. Okay. See, we got distracted. All right. You guys ready? <laughs> ready. All right, I, will, I will cue you to begin and then I'll bring you out of it as well. All right. Watch so it. ready and go.
and stop. All right, how many push-ups did you guys do? At least two. One was, this is probably the highlight of all our listeners. Burn band's still on. All Keep of our on. listeners experience of Power Athlete Radio where we all just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing wait, wait, that was it, and then other than that, I think I was pretty tight. Uh, so stomach growl. Yeah, no, well, that I'm hungry. Uh, I kept hearing the birds chirp. Yeah, I got that. And too. so, like three times, like I heard the birds chirp, and as soon as I heard the chirp, I was like, came right back to it. But yeah, then my stomach growled, and I realized I'm like, I'm so hungry, I can't wait to eat lunch. Get and then water. I came back. Uh, no, it's uh, it's it's all about in and out. Whataburgers. It's hard, right? Like it is really, and that's why this is a practice. And even for me, like there are some days that I'm like, I can hone my attention and it does not mind wander. And then other times I'm all over the place, right? Because it kind of depends on what's going on in your life and how you're perceiving the stress and the overwhelm. Um, but I was worried about, about falling asleep. That was the other one. I was like, don't fall asleep. Cause I feel like <laughs> if, 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 if I close my eyes and I take six breaths, I will fall asleep anywhere. But maybe well, you know that's- what that means. Yeah, I got three kids and my little boy woke me up twice last night. And he what he does is he, he comes into the room and he taps me on my forehead and he wakes me up and is like and then I yeah, yeah. So it means I'm being a, I'm, I'm a dad with three kids. He's yeah, yeah, exactly. You need more sleep, right? Yeah, no, I, I can always have more sleep. And I, I go to bed early. Like my kids go to bed at I put them to down at like eight thirty, nine o'clock. And then I try to go to bed as soon as they're done if I can. That's and good. like, uh, I, yeah, I'm just I keep telling Luke, I'm like. Keep loving it up, man. I can't wait till the baby comes. Got a system. Yeah. <laughs> what is oh, the that's system? Great. You have a baby on the way. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be easy. I got it all figured out. You know, <laughs> super. Just got a system. We've got notes. We've got a timeline. It's fine. Everything's yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything. Got to teach them how to be mindful from the beginning, and then, you know, they. Uh, be, I, I can't wait only. for Luke to come in as like a new father, just that, yeah. like, uh, like look on his face where it's just like, You've been through the meat grinder. You're like, I slept 20 minutes last night. I will never reward you we, with that. We had uh, we had twin girls. Our first <laughs> one's out. So like, I, and my wife breastfed. So like, I didn't sleep for more than 45 minutes for like three months. And uh, I just remember they're like, why are you so tired? I'm like, dude, I can't even think straight. I'm so sleep deprived. This is such torture. So it's terrible. Yeah. Sleep is a vital like piece of our of recovery of what we teach as well. I think a lot of people, you know, mindfulness is also a skill set you can use to help you with your sleep. Um, because many times when we can't sleep, it's because our mind won't shut off, right? Like it's just busy and it's thinking about the worries and the stressors and what we did yesterday and how we regret it. And we shouldn't have sent that email or that text or that fight we had, that conflict. And so when you um, then channel your attention to take it away from the craziness in your head and take it to something like your big toe, right? Like when you're laying in bed, think about all the sensations being provided by your right big toe, right? What does it feel like? Does it feel hot or cold or itchy or tight or loose, or you feel the sheet or you feel your sock or you feel whatever. What, when you do that, you are allowing your brain to release all those stressors and thoughts and you're bringing it to something that's in your present moment. And the majority of the time, if you start at your, your toe and you work your way up, it's kind of called the progressive muscle relaxation, right? You focus all that energy on a body part and then you release it and relax it as you move up next to the bottom of your foot and then your heel and your calf. I know for me, when I have trouble sleeping, by the time I usually get to like my knee, I'm out um, because part of it is just giving your mind permission to stop all that chaos and, and that monkey mind from going. So it can be a valuable tool for sleep. Um, as well savage i know for a long time i 
I guess before meditating, that would be the worst. Like trying to fall asleep was the fucking worst. Um, I have never had a problem sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's like somebody touches a button and the computer goes off. My wife's like, uh, you'll, I'll put my head on the pillow. She's like, I'll hear you take two deep breaths. And she's like, I know you're out. She's like, it is uh, the most infuriating thing. She's like, I've never seen anybody sleep like that. I'm like, ah. So, uh, yeah, you, uh, my wife, and my dad, Sandman. Just yeah. like, hang on, let it's, me take. <gasps> yeah, it's like a ninja blow dart. It's like, <laughs> gets me and I go right out. And uh, I remember my, I, I t- asked my mom about it. And she's like, well, you obviously don't have a guilty conscience. And I was like, <laughs> sh- like, it was such a weird <laughs> statement. I was like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, another, yeah. Oh, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, she's. Well, what did you guys think of the, the, the mindful minute? Some people get uncomfortable with the mm-hmm. silence because they've never. We never slow down enough, right, to just do a minute of silence. You know, a lot of people have iWatches, and it has that the app, right, that'll say, it'll ding and say breathe. And most people are like, dismiss. I don't have time for that. Well, I, I, was, uh, I didn't hear Luke mouth breathing, which was mm-hmm. strange. But I could hear, like, uh, you know, the emotion. Uh, text is like, you know, 10,000 voices screaming of emotion, which I can only hear in total silence, just happening all at once. Uh, I know. So it reminded me just of, you know, using like headspace meditation, like guided meditation type stuff. So and I, I remember when I first started that it was the I'm like, this it can't be right. You know, the whole time I'm just talking to myself, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, I'm doing this wrong. I think my posture is wrong. I'm going to bend my leg a little like and just like and next thing you know, 10 minutes is up. I have no fucking clue what. Like I was just thinking, dude. About uh, that. Um, the other one, and I, I was reading about. Um, uh, they said like ten minutes of like nature, like just being in nature, like walking down, yeah, like where we are, like nature bath. Yeah, just like where you can't like uh, like um, see or just kind of like within nature and like hearing the sounds and the water and like they say like that is by far like the greatest stress reliever. Like I know uh, um, if anything's overwhelming, I try to just walk down to like where the uh, on our property. Uh, Little Barn Creek runs through our property and then we have a waterfall and I'll just go over there and just kind of like hang out and see like the water go. And it's like within like three minutes, I'm like, oh, life's not that hard, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I think many people think about, oh, well, I have to sit on a cushion with my legs crossed in order to meditate or, or be practice mindfulness. And the thing about it is, is it, it's, it can actually be done anywhere. And the research will tell us 20 minutes is kind of the sweet spot. That's about how much you want to do, do a day, but we found an effective dose to be as low as eight minutes. And so, um, I have found honestly, in, in my, my journey is that instead of doing that chunk of time, first thing in the morning, I still do that sometimes, but what I find myself doing is a minute or two throughout the day and, um, through different activities, right. Parking your car a little further and then being very mindful and purposeful and and what you're doing with your mind as you walk into the shopping center or into work or while you're, you know, uh, sitting in your car. Or the other thing I tell people is we all probably have activities that we love to do. And the reason we love them is because we're fully present and engaged when we're doing them. Maybe it's fishing or hiking or running, or for me, skiing has been, um, you know, very valuable for my mindfulness practice and my meditation because it's just me out there on the mountain by myself. And I'm just fully engaged in that activity. And I'm at peace and I'm content and I find joy. And so the problem is, is that, that space, that mental space we find ourselves in is a luxury for most of us. We only go fishing once a year, right? And then we're like, oh, I had so much fun fishing. We only go skiing, you know, once a year. 
And so it's about finding ways to incorporate that same feeling and, um, you know, mental presence in more of our, our daily lives. Um, instead of thinking of it as a luxury, think of it as a necessity. Like I need to break away from my computer or from, you know, engaging with the little kids or whatever to get that solitude, to get that space, to exercise my mind so that I can be better when I'm with my family and with my work and with my teammates. It's uh, like lifting weights. Like we, we train, um, here at six in the morning and like, um, at first, you know, like, uh, it, but like now it's like, I, I like, I feel like something is, is like, doesn't like the day it doesn't start right. Unless like, you know, like yesterday we, we had a guy come, we started later and it like felt like it totally threw my whole day off. And I'm like, we lifted weights at like nine and it just that three hours, it's a like a nice little Sunday. Yeah, it was like, that's why I kept telling text. I'm like, except it was Monday. It, it's like a Sunday, like, uh, cause normally we'll train a little later on the weekends, but I was like, ah, oh, it was a nice Sunday, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, like that type of stuff. Like, uh, like that's, you know, my meditation time or, you know, and you find like different ways to go in and do it. And it's like, man, I can't imagine not having, uh, some time to like actually do something not only physically, but challenging, but it's like something that you have to focus on, man, that's, uh, I don't know where, where we'd be without it. So. Mm -hmm. And many times we like those things because we're not thinking about those worries and the stressors, you know, like if every time I went on the hill to ski, if I was thinking about all the things that were pissing me off and what was going on on social media and, you know, like how I, you know, my, my husband and I got in a little disagreement, like I wouldn't like skiing anymore. Um, and so, yeah, we, we all kind of have those activities. It's just now taking that feeling, um, that same mental space and kind of carrying it through, you know, changing your state of mind throughout the day. And it just comes down to like being present or just, I guess, um, being aware of it. Like, it sounds like being present is just being aware of being present because if people aren't, if you haven't pointed it out and they're not aware of it, they just drift off. And that seems like just like making somebody aware that like, Hey, you need to be present when you're doing this. Or, you know, stay with me. That kind of idea. Yeah, that, and that awareness happens sooner, right? And so instead, like, you know, if you cultivate this skill set, we will still get distracted. You will still mind wander. The thing is, is that you'll catch yourself sooner. So instead of having gone through five pages of book before you catch yourself and realize, wait, I haven't been paying attention to what I'm reading, maybe, you know, before you're halfway down the page, you catch yourself and you say, oh, wait, I, I'm not paying attention. My mind is, is wandering. Um, that's really how... You know, we found in, in military research that we've done both performance-based and overall overall well-being, that repetitive practice of mindfulness helps us like decrease that mind wandering, improve like our working memory, adjust our perception of our stress level, um, all these things that really um, provide goodness to our daily uh, our daily tasks. And in fact, one of the the biggest things, if you look at the the research into mindfulness across the spectrum, it's been found to do everything from healing people's psoriasis to improving their relationships and all these things in between. And I think it's because it directly addresses the way we make decisions under stress. Right. When we make decisions under stress, we choose not to work out or to fly off the handle, you know, and get have an emotional response to our kids not tying their shoes fast enough before we get out the door or, you know, we overeat or emotionally eat. Right. We mindlessly eat the entire bag of chips without realizing we're even doing it. But once you get control of those thoughts, emotions and behaviors, I mean, 
it, the world will open up as far as performance goes. Um, so yeah, I really- I two bags of chips, Luke. Oh yeah, but I'm 100% mindful when I go in to devour <laughs> chips, I'm going in with purpose and I have- Yeah, no, I, everybody's like, God, look at the ridges and the way this crunches. Beautiful, like, beautiful <sighs> chip gone. And that wasn't just one chip, that was four chips at once. And I'm going to get its cousin and its brother and it's, yeah, I'm just going to get all and, the chips. And Janelle, you know, going into like that deliberate or mindful or calculated decision, I think you come out the other end if it, you fuck up and it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do, you come out the other end um, more resilient, right? And I, you know, whereas if you go in and make an emotional or stressful or rushed decision, or like John, like you said, like you, you come out of a, an end point knowing you were unprepared or not the best version of yourself showing up that day, you know, whether you hit the target or not, you, there's, a, there's a bit of remorse that you have to then, that weight you have to carry and then shelve it or deal with it, you know? Um, or at least I've found in, in my mind endeavors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's extremely powerful for young athletes and all athletes, because, you know, when you have the ability to not bring, you know, those worries and stressors with you, you can just be in the moment to be your best. Like that is what we're finding sets people apart, right? Like the greatest in the world that master their craft that are able to do impossible things are the ones that can filter right through the noise, filter through the stressors and actually show up and be authentic and have done the work to figure out what that authenticity means. And then that's, the people who get to do impossible things. Um, it's not just about the physical prowess anymore. You know, like you can't just be, you know, pump the, the physical iron. Like you've got to start pumping the mental iron, I think, and to set yourself apart, whether that's in a military setting, whether that's as an athlete on an athletic field or as a leader in the boardroom. That's, I think, what our research is telling us puts you on the edge. That's awesome. Very you good. got anything else, Tex? Um, curious. I guess I had an outside conversation about 80s movies montages and how this has taken away from the, the mindfulness, the awareness, and the true process of developing skills. 80s movies montage taking away skills. No, the, the investment for young athletes that are watching these fast forward through the true process and development of skill. I don't know. Who? Wait a minute. Don't worry about who. I know the answer to these already. And so was there a question in there? Well, I'm just curious in Janelle, you've had the opportunity to lead young men and women for 20 years and now go into teaching other leaders how to lead. How have you seen this change in investment in the process, understanding and self and development progress? And you can answer through film or just in your experience. <laughs> Open-ended. <laughs> Like if you go back to Karate Kid, like a classic 80s movie, that was the whole, right? Like, why am I waxing this car, right? And, and the whole idea was for him to kind of practice being present and mindful and calming his mind so that when he was under duress, right? Like his skill sets could come out and he could be high performing. Um, so there's my film reference for, for the work well, that I do. And but his 80s montage in that movie was when he was in the karate tournament that was the montage. Remember that? Like he, like they didn't montage any of the other training. It was just the fight scenes. Fast it, forward to the championship. Yeah. To get him to the championship. So he did the work. Yeah. I think, 
are you trying to ask like it, you know, in today's culture, I think we do, and this alludes to kind of where we started with this identity um, conversation in the beginning. Really, it's it's growth versus fixed mindset. And I think we do have a bunch of young people today that are growing up with a fixed mindset um, with a, we have a, everybody gets a trophy kind of culture. I want the life hack or the quick fix. Um, and really that doesn't exist. Like you, you have to put the work in, like you have to commit to wanting to make yourself better. And we can either start that by teaching our young people today about having a growth mindset, about how to emotionally regulate themselves so that they don't have to behave and our emotions don't have to drive these maladaptive coping mechanisms to adversity, to, um, you know, poor decision-making in our life space. Like we can go backwards a few steps and teach us how to get control of the thoughts in the first place to change the outcomes. Um, and I think that that's a, a struggle we have and social media and technology and this connectivity, right? Like we're connected 24 seven. You know, we can play video games. That's what I found probably with most of the young people. They were had stronger thumbs than they did muscles in their arms, right? Because they spend a majority of their time in front of a screen and playing um, video games. So it's how do we take that culture that has not grown up where work and rest cycles, you know, were just part of the human body and physiology and how the sun rose and the sun set. You know, we didn't have artificial light and 24-7 connection. And so it's how do we instill that back into our culture today? Um, and that's, that's the hard work. Um, because going back to what motivates people, we want the easy way out. And um, sometimes they have to hit that point of suffering, those brick walls in order to get it. But my goal is to not teach this stuff as a treatment or a way to fix people, but a way to find our inner warrior and inner badass. Like, why don't we learn that from the beginning and so that we can show up every day and be our best? Because and we don't so, have good teachers because I think our teachers don't know it. I mean, if you think about it, like, um, where are people learning this information? And the problem is, is that it's, uh, it's a lot of facade. I mean, the one thing we've run into is people that have a fixed mindset. When you point out their fixed mindset, they become adverse to it. Yes. And like, you know, and then they want to fight and they want to cling. And I'm like, you're exemplifying the mindset that I'm telling you that you have. And you're proving to me over and over again that you have a fixed mindset. Like argue with me that you have this growth mindset. And like, it's, it's really just fascinating to see it. And like, uh, the idea of like, you know, the, the biggest tell is like, you know, can you take negative or, um, you know, constructive criticism? Can you take negative criticism and learn something from it? Or do you just, you know, that person doesn't like me. They, they obviously, you know, didn't see what I saw. And it's like, you know, like it just, um, it's, it, I, yeah, I, I really just don't know how people get better. I mean, it just seems to me that like without coaching, without failure, like I've learned more in failure than I ever learned from success. Like it's the best teacher. Like, how do you know, like if you're, you know, and we do this all the time, we start driving and I'm like, where are we going? I don't know. We, we probably got to make a U-turn. Like it just like, but unless you put your foot on the accelerator and start heading in the right direction, how do you know, like if you're going the right, it just, to me, it, it feels very natural that like you're going to have failures, but you're going to learn something out of that failure. So the next time that failure comes up, you're going to be so much more prepared. Like, um, you know, and I saw the one the other day where it's like, you know, I don't want to live in a society where nobody fails at anything. Like, how are we going to, you know, continue to evolve if there is no adversity? And you hear these kind of like doomsday things. And when you sit and think about it and I'm like, man, that's um, that's 
crazy, but uh, me as an individual can only control what I can control. So I have to make sure that my children don't grow up like that. And the people that I can touch point, like, you know, these guys or the people that are listening to this or the people that we work with, you know, with that, that come within our kind of our sphere of influence that they, that they don't have that same, you know, kind of mindset. And, uh, I just think it's like the problem comes down to, I just think that, um, there's a lot of charlatans and a lot of people that I think are promoting things in a strange way. And I like, I hear it and I'm like, uh, my bullshit meter is like a spider sense where I'm like, ah, it sounds like bullshit, but you know, we're a small population, so we got to continue to go. So, but, uh, thank you. Yeah. That was amazing. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed talking to you guys today and I hope your listeners got something out of it and, um, hopefully it'll benefit them on, on their journeys to success in all aspects of their lives as well. Well, thank you. I feel like it was great for us. I mean, uh, um, you know, as much as I'm, you know, the, the listeners get to enjoy it. Uh, we're selfish and yeah, as long as alert, it's not, yeah, for them. It's, it's totally not for them. It's about our own journey and this and our growth and this, and, uh, this was amazing. Thank you very much for taking the time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. There you have hey, it. Power you. athlete nation. Another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding, ding. And that's all we got today. See. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Get more familiar with Dr. McCauley by checking out her website, JanelleMcCauley.com. Again, that's no www. That will jack things up. Or you can follow her on most social media outlets at McCauleyJC. Stay tuned for more info on her project, Warrior's Edge. And if you'd like to check out her TED Talk, you can find it conveniently located on this episode's show notes page. Until next time, uh, bye!